Good morning. Hey guys, welcome to Grace Bible Church. If you have your Bibles, turn uh, with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you have your own Bible, uh, an excellent thing to do to bring your Bible to church, we will be in Hebrews chapter 5, is where we are going to be this morning. If you don't happen to bring your Bible, uh, there should be a pew Bible in front of you, and uh, if you use that pew Bible, we will be on page 970, 970 is where we will be. And if you don't have access to either of those, the text should be up on the screen. And so by way of introduction uh, this morning, we are in the midst of a four-part, uh, very short series from the book of Hebrews. Uh, and the series this morning and for the next couple weeks is called Siren, Warnings from the Book of Hebrews. And uh, we uh, began last Sunday by talking about the significance and the importance of sirens, whether that be on an ambulance or from a police officer or maybe a tornado siren. Uh, but they're meant to wake us up. They're meant to be a warning that there's danger ahead. And we're meant to not ignore those warnings warnings, but rather heed those warnings. And so what we are going to embark on for the next few weeks is a study on the warning passages in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Again, by way of review, uh, what we discovered last week is that the book of Hebrews is essentially a book that's written to Jewish Christians, that is, believers who came out of Judaism, placed their faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, was born again, and were living and were walking their Christian life, but then they began to encounter difficulties. They began to face persecutions. Uh, They began to face hardships, and if you remember my story, it's like they were going uh, uh, down a one-way street, and they didn't know it, and all of a sudden, there's traffic coming at them. There's difficulty coming at them, and they were faced with the choice. Do I stay on this road of Christianity, or do I turn around and do a U-turn and go back into their Jewish ways, back to the religion of Judaism? And the author of Hebrews writes to them for a couple reasons. Number one, he writes to them to say, don't don't stop believing. Don't turn away from Jesus Christ. Don't give up on the faith. And so persist. Keep at it. Don't turn away on the one hand. But then secondly, he, sta- he says, instead of giving up, use those hardships, use those trials, use the persecution, use the hardships of life to ra- not give up, to rather grow up. And so he encourages them to grow up, to mature in their faith. We saw uh, the first two of the warning passages last Sunday. Uh, the first warning passage uh, uh, out of the book of Hebrews, uh, w- uh, the author tells them, don't drift away. He says, don't drift away from Christianity. And then secondly, he said, don't turn away. Don't drift away from Christianity and don't turn away from your faith. And so that fulfills the very first thrust of the purpose of the book. That is, don't turn away from the Christian faith. This morning, we will get our third warning passage, and it's called, Don't Stay a Baby. Don't stay a baby. And so this fulfills the second purpose of the book of Hebrews. He says, don't turn away from the faith, but rather endure your hardship and mature and grow from it. Don't stay a baby Christian. And so in our second part of our four-part series by the name of Siren, warning from the book of Hebrews, this morning we will see what is actually the third warning, and that is don't stay a baby. Don't stay a baby. So let's pray. And uh, then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you for a wonderful morning. Thank you for these dear people uh, who are here and uh, to worship you, to love you, to interact with one another, and to serve you and the body of Christ well. I pray that our worship would have been well-pleasing to you, Father, that the things that came from our lips and and more importantly, that which has been overflowing from our heart to you would have been well-pleasing, a sweet-smelling aroma into uh, into your nostrils. And Father, that our worship would be honoring to you. But I pray, Father, 
that our worship wouldn't just end here and it wouldn't just end as we uh, say our goodbyes and as we walk out the door, but as we go to work tomorrow, as we uh, watch TV tonight or do whatever it is that we're doing, I pray that we would worship you with all of our hearts, with all of our lives, and that we, as Paul says in Romans 12, would be a living sacrifice, that all that we are, we would die to ourselves and worship you. Spirit, we ask that you would now be among us. We desperately need your help. We need you to help us understand your word. Spirit, come be our teacher. Spirit, would you come speak through me and guard my lips that I would say things that are accurate and not false, that are uh, of your word and not of your word. And I pray for our listeners, including myself, that we would have soft and tender hearts and that as we hear from your word, uh, dear Father, that we would internalize it and be changed and that we would be different people. I pray especially for those of us who may be uh, baby believers that we are on the immature side of this Christian walk. I pray that this warning would be a good warning and that we would heed it, that we would not stay in our infant Christianity, but Father, we would grow up into full maturity in Jesus Christ. And so we ask for your help. We ask in the great name of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's watch a clip this morning. Imagine a world like nothing you've ever seen, where every day is an adventure. A world where you'll never have to grow up or grow old. Come with me. All you have to do is leave home behind. But you can never come back. Never. Never. It's an awfully long time. We search as ever for Peter Pan. Have you seen him? She says sorry, but no. I am history. Surprise. I'm told you ran away from home. Do you even remember your mother? Why, of course I. For those about to fall. Brace yourselves, lads. We must leave at once before we, in turn, are forgotten. Right. 
How many of you have either seen uh, one of the Peter Pan movies or plays or anything like that? Familiar with Peter Pan? Most everybody, I think, is familiar with Peter Pan. I, remem- I think I remember uh, going as a child, uh, there was a, a playhouse where they would do musicals and plays. It's called the Harbor Playhouse because it was right by the Gulf of Mexico, and it was right under the Gulf, uh, the Harbor Bridge in Corpus Christi. And I remember going there frequently because my mom uh, really enjoyed musicals. And I think I have the memory of going and maybe even being introduced to the the idea or to the play of Peter Pan and being enthralled by it. Uh, there are all sorts of fun things to like about it, but at the premise of Peter Pan was the idea or is the idea that you can, what Peter Pan is offering the Wendy and the children is that they can go to a place called what? Going to Never Never Land, and it's a place where you never grow up, right? It's a place where you never grow up. It's a place where you never have to become an adult. It's a place where you can play all day and fight with swords and interact with pirates and fairies and uh, mermaids and all sorts of fun things, and you can waste away your day in infanthood and childhood and never have to worry about growing up, about actually dealing with the things of adulthood. Uh, the author of the Hebrews uh, this morning, we don't know exactly who, it e- who he is, uh, but the author this morning essentially wants to talk to a group of Christians uh, way back then, and maybe a group of Christians that are sitting here in our pews. And he wants to talk to a specific group of believers that I would call Peter Pan Christians. He's talking to Peter Pan Christians Christianized versions of Peter Pan because they're believers in Christ. They've been born again. They've made professions of faith. Uh, They have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And yet, for some odd reason, uh, they are Peter Pan-esque. They refuse to grow up. They stay baby believers. And so to them and to you and I, possibly, the author of Hebrews has this third warning for us. And he says, don't stay a baby. Don't stay a baby. Don't be like Peter Pan but indeed grow up in your faith. And so let's read this third warning passage from the book of Hebrews. We're going to read it as a whole. It's quite a few verses. We're going to read it together, and then we're going to focus essentially on verses 11 through 14. Uh, but let's read it as in its entirety. It's not on the screen. If you have your Bibles, start with me, and uh, let's read together in chapter 5, starting in verse 11, and we'll read through chapter 6, uh, ending in verse 12. So let's just read this warning together as a whole. Verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer uh, try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and uh, be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, Instruction about the cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the world, uh, word of God and the power of the age to come and have fallen away, 
to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him uh, as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And this is indeed God's very word. So we have the whole warning, uh, the whole section. We're going to focus on the very beginning of that warning, starting in verse 11, running through verse 14. And what I want us to see uh, this morning, very simply, if you like taking notes, if you like structure, here's where we're going to be. This morning, I think in verses 11 through 14, we see four marks of what I call a baby Christian, of a baby believer, who, a, a believer who's an infant who still needs milk. Four marks of a baby believer. Four marks, jot these down, and then we'll walk through them. Number one, the first mark of a baby believer is that they are not eager to learn God's word. Number two, they have stunted growth. They have stunted growth. Number three, they're content with basic Bible knowledge. Content with basic Bible knowledge. Number four, and finally, they're not changed, they're not transformed by applying God's word. So that's where we're going to be. Let's look at the very first mark of a baby believer. And as we're going through these, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you've been born again, if you're a Christian, then this text is asking a very simple question of us. And that question is, are you a baby Christian? Are you still a baby believer? Or are you in the process of becoming mature? And so ask yourself these questions. Number one, the first mark of a baby believer is that they're not eager to learn. They're not eager to learn God's word. And we see this in verse 11. So let's read it once again together. Verse 11, the author begins by saying, We have much to say about this. We have much to say about this. Well, what is he talking about? What does he want to say to them? What does he want to instruct them on? He has, we have a lot of things to say about this. Well, if you look at the preceding context, what he's talking about is the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, he's comparing Jesus Christ to the Old Testament and to numerous aspects of the law and of the Old Covenant. And here, he's comparing Jesus Christ to the high priest. And he calls Jesus Christ our great high priest. He's our go-between between God the Father and humanity. And he's making, he wants to make a detailed argument. He wants to make this argument that Jesus Christ can legitimately fulfill the role of high priest. Now, I don't know if you remember your Old Testament history, but uh, the, the role of the priesthood and the high priest in Israel came from the line of Aaron. That is Moses' brother, came from the descendants of Aaron. But Jesus Christ was not from that line. He's not a descendant of Aaron. And so these Jews who have become Christians may wonder, and the author says, I've got a lot to explain to you. I want to show you how Jesus Christ is not from Aaron's line, but he's from this guy by the name of Melchizedek. Let's say this together. Melchizedek. 
Excellent. Very good. Melchizedek. Okay. Uh, very odd name. You probably have no idea about him. He's uh, only mentioned three times in, in the Bible. But the point is, is he's saying, I want to go into some meat. I want to go into some weighty things here, and I want to show you how good and great Jesus Christ is. We have much to say about this. And then what's the very next word, ch- church? But. But. So there's a problem. <laughs> And the problem is, it's hard to make it clear to you because, here's the reason, because you no longer are trying to understand. You no longer try to understand. Some translations may say that you are dull of hearing. You're dull of hearing. Your translation may say you are slow to learn. The point that he's trying to make is that they are not eager anymore for the Bible. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to understand it. They don't want to apply it. There's no hunger for the spiritual milk or meat of the word. And so you could say that it's not a problem of their intelligence. It's not that they can't understand it. The problem is they don't want to. The problem is not that they can't comprehend what he wants to talk about. The problem is, listen church, they don't want to. They have become dull of hearing. Now, I don't know if you know students like this. Maybe your child fits under this category. Maybe uh, you fit in this category when you were a student or friends that you knew. But there are some students that just don't do well in school. And sometimes it's an intellectual problem. They have learning disabilities. Maybe their IQ is not as high, and so they just don't do as well. And they work extremely hard to get what they get. But then there are other students gifted students who have high IQs, they can understand truth, um, but they don't want to. They're not motivated. Is somebody coming to mind right now? I hope it's not one of your kids. (laughs) Um, uh, But they're not motivated to learn. They can, but they just don't want to. There's a friend of mine who, I should say a friend, he was a friend of mine in high school, and his name was Junior, Junior Flores. And he was uh, a decent friend. He was extremely smart. Um, he, I, I don't know exactly what he made on his SAT, ACT, but I know it was higher than me, significantly higher than me. And mine wasn't outstanding, but it was decent. And he was extremely bright. He was one of those kids that he didn't really have to study, and he usually did well. But then as we went on into high school, his motivation just waned. He didn't do well, and teachers would look at him, and his friends would look at him and say, you've got all of this potential if you just wanted it. (laughs) If you just wanted to learn, you could go anywhere that you wanted to go. This is kind of like these Christians. They had all the potential in the world, but they had no hunger. They were not eager to learn God's word. And so what about you? Are you eager to learn God's word? You might not be if, number one, you don't have any desire or you have a little desire to read God's word on your own. If you have no or little desire to wake up in the morning or when you're going to bed at night or while you're driving in the car to listen to God's word, if you have no to little desire, if it's waning, if that just seems utterly boring to you, you don't have any desire to read God's word on your own. Because folks, if all you're getting is, say, like Wednesday morning or Wednesday night or what I'm teaching here or Sunday school, that's good. Keep doing it. But that is just not sufficient. It's not sufficient for you to move from infancy to maturity. And so if you don't have any desire to read God's word on your own, then you may be a baby Christian. Number two, if you don't have any desire 
for things like sermons, Sunday school lessons, spiritual conversations with your spouse, with your friends, with people at work, with, men's in your, uh, with guys in your men's fraternity group, with the ladies uh, on Wednesday uh, morning or, or, or Monday night. If you don't have any desire to speak about spiritual things, to engage God's word, if there's no desire, sermons are just utterly boring in spite of my fabulous preaching, I can't imagine, um, then you know what? Maybe I'm bad, but maybe, just maybe, just maybe, you're an infant. Maybe you're not eager to learn God's word. The great commentator Warren Wearsby says this, one of the first symptoms of spiritual regression is anything spiritual is dull. Are you there? Anything spiritual is dull. And then he diagnoses it. The problem is usually, usually, not with the Sunday school teacher or the pastor, but with the believer himself. And so the first mark of an infant Christian is that you just don't desire God's word. There is no desire there. Number two, not only do you not desire to learn from God's word, but you have stunted growth. You are not growing like you should be in a spiritual sense. Now, you may be growing out or to the sides if you're like me. You may be growing in some ways, but you're not growing upwards spiritually, okay? And so number two, you have stunted growth. Let's read then together verse 12. He goes on to say, in fact, in fact, and let's focus on the very first half or first part of this verse. In fact, though by this time, notice, though by this time you ought Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. The first thing I want us to see, the second mark of a baby believer is that they have stunted growth. Notice what he says at the very beginning of verse 12. He says this. He says, in in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers. Notice that. By this time you ought to be teachers. What he's saying is that you have had enough time in your Christian life from the time that you became a Christian, from the time you turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ and were born again, from that time until this time, for these believers, it should be enough time for them to have grown up from infanthood to maturity or maturing. They should be off the baby bottle and eating some more solid foods, right? They should be, but they're not. They have stunted growth. And so the second thing we see is that given the amount of time, they're not growing. They're not growing. Now, I don't know if you do this. We don't really do this yet, although it would be a good idea. Uh, But when I was growing up, there was a, a doorway, and it led from our garage into our kind of laundry room into then the kitchen in our house, and we would use that particular doorway from the garage to the laundry room to mark our, our growth. H- how many of you do that with your kids or have done that? You know what I'm talking about, Mark? Okay, here you are, right? It's pretty neat because you, you see, okay, little Johnny is now one feet tall or two feet tall. Now little Johnny's four feet tall. Oh, now little Johnny is six foot six and he can dunk a basketball or whatever, you know? They grow up. And why do you do that? Because what are you charting? You're charting their growth. You want to see them progress, right? Now, what, what is happening then on the spiritual level with these Christians is they became a, a believers in Christ, and they started growing. And so the author's like, oh, great, you're two, two and a half feet. And then like a year later, oh, great, you're three feet. And they're marking progress. But at some point, at some point, they came back, and they measured, and they measured the same. And then they came back a year later, and they measured them, and 
They measure the same. They have stunted growth. At some point, they are not progressing spiritually. Now, if you had a child that for a year or two or three did not grow, did not grow taller, would you be concerned? Yes, parents, you would be. You would say, this is not right. They should be growing. Why are they still four feet seven or whatever, right? You would be concerned if your child stopped growing when they still should be growing. And these Christians had stopped growing, even though they should have been growing. They had stunted growth. And so let me ask you a second question. Not only is it, are you not eager for God's word, but do you have stunted spiritual growth? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Do we see progress in our spiritual life? Now, there's all sorts of markers for this, but let me just give you a couple. Number one, have you seen growth with a specific area of sin or, or, or struggle? We all, as Christians, struggle with areas, whether it's anger or worry or stress or uh, what comes out of our mouth or gossip or uh, whatever. Pick your, pick your poison, right? We all struggle with things. And so at some point, we have to ask ourselves, are we growing in this? Do we see ourselves worrying less, stressing less, being more in control of our anger, not abusing the alcohol as much, not lying but speaking truth? Do we see progress, not perfection, (laughs) not perfection but progress? Or when you look at that specific area, do you measure up and you say, oh, I'm still the same. Oh, I've not progressed. And by God's grace, we can and do progress over areas. Uh, for me, uh, by way of illustration, worry has been one that I have struggled with, uh, and I still do from time to time, but as I take a look over the past 10 years or so of my life, I can honestly say that I'm, generally speaking, doing better. I don't worry as much. Do I still worry? Yes, I do. <laughs> Does it still come back? Absolutely. Do I struggle with it? Yes. But as I look at it as a whole, I think, by God's grace, that God is changing me in that area. So what about you? Secondly, secondly, maybe there's a specific spiritual discipline that God wants to grow you in. And so have you found that your prayer time or uh, intensity or passion is growing or waning? Your desire to study God's word or for prayer or for serving inside or outside the church, as Dennis talked about, um, is that getting stronger or is that waning? Because the second mark of a baby Christian is not only do they not desire God's word, they are stunted in their growth. So what about you? Are you stunted or are you progressing? Number three, verse 12, the last part of verse 12, not only are they stunted in growth, but they are content with basic Bible knowledge. They are content with the amount of Bible understanding and knowledge that they have. Let's read again the the very last half of verse 12. Well, let's just read it all. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you what? The elementary truths of God's word all over again. And then he says, you need milk, not solid food. And so the point that he's making here is that baby Christians are content with what they know. They don't desire the deeper things of the scriptures. They don't desire to apply scriptures to more and more areas in their life. They are just simply content. Notice the word elementary truths, right? 
elementary truths. In Greek, this refers to the alphabet. That's the word in Greek. It's the ABCs, if you will. And so he says, you know what? You're just content knowing A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? You're content with that. That's all you need to know. You don't want to learn sentences. You don't want to learn paragraphs. You don't want to learn how to read. You're just content with the ABCs. Now, we're trying to teach Asher the ABCs. Sometimes he gets them. Sometimes he doesn't. The song is helpful, right? But here's the deal. If he didn't go on, if he, if he didn't say, oh, the ABCs are great, but now I want to learn how to spell and, and recognize sentences, he, if he didn't do that, we would be very concerned. If he just said, hmm, ABCs, I like the song. It's catchy. That's good enough, right? We would be concerned. Well, these Christians are like, well, I think I kind of understand the ABCs, and that's good enough. You could say that the author wanted to teach them Shakespeare, but they were content with the alphabet. That's what you could say. Moving on, we're not going to go there, but in uh, chapter 6 and verses 1 through 3, we read it. He talks about the milk, the milk versus the meat. And he talks about the meat of the word, but then he says, this is the milk of the word. These are the things that you should move beyond. He says, the things that you should move beyond are the things in the Old Testament that point towards Christ. And we see that in verses 1 through 3. They were caught up in just the basics, just the basics from the Old Testament. And they didn't want to move on to maturity. They just didn't want to. They needed milk, but not solid food. What a wonderful illustration, is that not? There's milk in the word, and we need the milk at first, but then we go on to what? To solid food, right? And so we go through this in, our, in my household. We have a four-month-old baby, and uh, we kind of have this conversation from time to time when Asher's eating a lollipop or his hot dog or whatever, and he's like, here, Piper. You know, we're like, no, <laughs> don't feed her anything. Don't, you know, and he, he has to understand, and he's hopefully understanding that babies need milk. They don't need steak, right? They don't need steak, but he is maturing. He's growing. He has teeth. He can handle steak if we, if we want to feed him steak, right? And that's what the scripture is saying. That's what the author is saying. He's like, you just want the milk. You're grown-up people. You're grown-up believers, but you just want the bottle. I mean, think how ridiculous that would be if I uh, showed up at diner and I was like, uh, Irm's like, hey, do you, want, uh, do you want water? I'm like, no, I think I'll have some milk in a bottle, please. Thank you. And, and I got the big bottle, and they're like, do you want chicken? No. Do you want ribs? No. I just want a bottle. And I was like, go, 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 go. That would be extremely awkward and weird beyond imagination, Right? But, but, but this is what is happening spiritually. They're like, oh, just the basics. Gook, gook, gook. And you have these people who are believers for, I don't know how long, but for a sufficient amount of time, and they don't want anything deeper. Someone once said, this is a great quote, the ABCs of the Christian life are important. He's not saying you don't need milk. Because when you're a baby Christian, you need milk. <laughs> you don't take a baby Christian and say, let me teach you about dispensationalism, and let me teach you about the imminent return of our predispensation cry, whatever. You know, you don't just go into the meat. You say, here's the basics. You need the milk, but then you move on. The author says the ABCs of the Christian life are important, but they must be, catch this, but they must be a launching pad, not a parking lot. Isn't that a great image? They must be a launching pad, not a parking lot. And so what about you? Are you content with basic Bible knowledge? Are you content just knowing what you know? Do you find yourself saying, I don't want to learn about that. I don't need to know what that scripture means. I don't need to know if I need to apply that in my life. I don't need to know. I'm just, I'm just content. 
there was a lady, um, and God bless her, she was a wonderful lady uh, that Shelly and I worked pretty closely with uh, in, in the youth group in Dallas. And she was a great lady. I, I don't mean to demean her at all. But we had an interesting conversation, or I did, with her one day, and we were talking, I don't know what issue we were talking about, some issue in theology and how that related to life. And she, I remember her saying, I don't need to know that. I'm like, you don't need to know what God, God's word means? And she said, no, I just don't need to know that. I'm content with what I know. And I was like, you don't, you mean, when we look at this scripture, you don't want to know what it means and how it applies to, to your life. She's like, no, I just got the basics down and that's good enough. And I didn't chide her or anything, but I thought, she's a baby. She's a baby Christian. She just wants the bottle. She, she doesn't want meat. So what about you? What about you? The marks of a baby believer, they're not eager, they're stunted in their growth, they're content with basic Bible knowledge, and then finally, in verses 13 and 14, they don't apply God's word. And what I mean by that is that they are not being transformed. They are not becoming different people because they are engaged consistently with God's word. They just are staying the same. Let's read this together, verses 13 and 14. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about what, church? Righteousness, okay? Verse 14. But solid food is for the mature who by what? Constant use, right? By constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now what we see is in verse 13, it's describing baby Christians. In verse 14, we get a description of the mature What does it look like to be a mature Christian? I'm lumping them together, and what we see is that infant Christians, baby Christians, don't know how, and they don't try, and they don't care to apply apply God's word to their life in a real, practical way. Verse 13, it says that they're not acquainted with the teachings of righteousness. And what that means is that they are not, they don't know how to use God's word to produce practical righteousness. I don't believe this is talking about like we are saved and righteous before God kind of a righteousness as Paul uses it. I think this is the kind of practical, day-to-day, holy, righteous living that sets us apart from the world, that kind of applicational righteousness. He says that they're not familiar with it. But by contrast, in verse 14, the mature are. They have what? They've trained themselves. In Greek, this word essentially means to train yourself by continual exercise. To be trained to do something by continually exercising towards it. Now, I'm not an exercise guru. I don't teach PE. I'm not a coach or anything like that. But one of the things that I do know is that if you want to be a good basketball player or a good free thrower, you take a lot of free throws, right? If you want to spike the ball good, you spike it over and over and over. If you want to swim with excellence, you teach your muscles to swim and you do it over and over and over again so that then you can do it rightly. I just started swimming again. It's that time of year. It's too cold for me to run because I'm a pansy. I can't handle it. (laughs) I just can't handle the cold air, okay? I'm like coughing and sputtering. So if you see me running and I'm like, (laughs) you know, you know that I can't do it. Um, So I swim because it's warm. And so I started swimming. And uh, as you well know, if you get into something that you haven't done in a while, literally, I, I, I start on my first couple laps, and I feel this pain shooting down my arm. And then I feel it shooting down the other arm. And I'm like, I'm cramping up, you know, and I'm swimming. And I'm like, ouch, it hurts, you know, I'm, I'm swimming. And I'm like, I can't do this. I just can't go through the pain if this is how it's going to feel, because I hadn't used those muscles in quite some time. But then guess what happened? I decided to keep doing it. 
I decided to give it another minute or two, and I started swimming, and guess what? The pain, it went away, and I began to train my muscles again to swim. This is the image that Paul is using. He's saying, by using God's word, by continually allowing God's word to filter into our hearts, and it, it then filters out of our lives, continual exercise, we then have perception. We know what is right, we know what is wrong, and we choose the right. And so, essentially, he says, mature people are changed by God's word, immature people are not. So, how about you? Are you being changed by God's word? Are you allowing what you hear in Sunday school, in sermons, on the radio, personal Bible study time, men's fraternity, women's group, life group, however you're exposed to God's word, are you allowing that to influence and affect your daily living, how you parent, how you teach, how you administer, how you work on Monday morning, whatever it is that you do, are you trying to do that? Because hear this, folks, it doesn't just happen. It just doesn't happen. We have to think about it. We have to engage all of the uh, areas of our life and say, what does this word that is from God want me to do, want me to change? By God's grace, through the Spirit, yes, but what steps do I need to take And so if you're jotting down notes, write these questions down. I found these questions to be extremely helpful as you're reading the scriptures in the morning or whenever you're exposed to God's word. Ask yourself these questions. I think it's extremely helpful. Uh, Question number one. Is there a command that we should obey? Is there a command to obey? Sometimes God just says, this is what I want you to do. And so is there a command to obey? Secondly, is there an example to follow? Oftentimes we don't have strict commands, but there are wonderful examples, especially in the Old Testament, that we can follow as believers. Is there an example to be followed? Is there a sin we should avoid? God's saying, don't do this, (laughs) don't do this, don't do this. Number four, is there a promise that we can trust? That's a wonderful thing because oftentimes what God says is not commands, but it's here's a promise that I'm holding out to you. I want you to believe it and trust in it. Is there a promise that we can trust? Finally, is there a warning to be heeded? And fifth, is there a truth that we should believe? Is there a truth that we should believe? What we need to do, folks, is to begin to ask ourselves when we're reading the scriptures, does this does this make any difference in my marriage? How, do, how should this affect how I relate to my wife? How should this affect how I relate to my kids? How should this affect how I'm going to relate to the guy that I work with tomorrow? How should this affect how I'm going to relate to my classmates when the bell rings Monday morning? How is this going to affect my relationship with God? How is this going to affect my relationship with myself? And we run through these questions and we ask and we begin to allow God's word to transform us and we are essentially training ourselves by continual use to know right and wrong, and to obey. And so in closing, I want to throw a chart up on the screen, and I want to put all that we've seen together. What's the difference between a baby believer and a maturing believer? I I didn't say mature. I think there are mature Christians, but I like the idea of maturing because it's a process, and we're all in process. First of all, baby Christians, they're not eager to learn, but those who are maturing, they have a desire for God's word. Number two, baby Christians have their stunted growth. They're not not growing, but mature Christians have consistent growth. Not perfection, but they're moving in the right direction. Number three, baby believers are content with milk. They just want the bottle. But those who are maturing, they're hungry for the meat. They're ready to go on to deeper things, and not just intellectually, not just intellectually for knowledge's sake. They want to apply God's word 
holistically the best they can by God's grace in every inch of their life. Number four, baby believers, they don't know how to apply truth and they don't work at it. But maturing believers, they seek to apply truth in every area of their life. And so then the question is, which camp do you fall in? Are you a baby Christian or are you a mature Christian? And if you find yourself in one way, shape, or another in the mark of the baby believer, don't beat yourself up. Don't get down upon yourself, but heed what the author is saying in verse 1 of chapter 6. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. What he's saying there is, if you find yourself being a baby Christian, work at it, pray, move forward. Don't just allow yourself to be that. And so, I'm going to ask a final question. There are baby believers, there are maturing believers, and then there are people who are not believers at all. There are people who are neither infant or growing because they have not been born again. Because here's the deal, when we all come to the Christian faith, when we all accept Jesus Christ, we are all born as spiritual babes. Like we come out of that conversion experience and we're wearing diapers, okay? We're wearing spiritual diapers and we need spiritual milk and that's not a bad thing but we don't want to stay in diapers until we're 20, okay? We need to mature. We need meat. But how do we get there? Well, we get into God's family by being born again. The scripture says that you have to be born again to become a baby in Christ. And so if you've not done that, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're confused, please talk with me afterwards. Talk with someone. Talk with one of our elders. Talk with someone you know. Because there may be people here who are hearing my voice and you're not a maturing believer, you're not even a baby believer because you haven't been born again. You haven't experienced rebirth to become a baby Christian. And so if you haven't done that, then that is what you need to do. That's the very first thing. That's the only thing. And you do that by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that God loves the world, and yet we, uh, as sinful human beings, cannot reach him, that he sent Jesus Christ to bridge that gap, to live a life that we could never live, to die a death that we deserved, paying the penalty for our sins so that upon his resurrection, if we believe in the resurrected Son of God, that we are then made new people, that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us simply by faith. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't work towards it, we receive what Christ has done, and then we are utterly changed. And the seed of the gospel begins to produce wonderful fruit, apples and oranges and whatever fruit you like, it begins to produce this wonderful fruit, and then you're a baby Christian, and you grow up, and you become mature in the faith. And so where are you? Are you a Christianized version of Peter Pan? Do you want to live the rest of your spiritual life in Never Neverland, never wanting to grow up? Or do you want to be mature? If so, then heed our third warning from the book of Hebrews. Don't be a baby. Don't be a baby, but grow up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's rich and real and good. Thank you that it's altogether true and lovely and informative and helpful for teaching and training and rebuke and instruction about righteousness. Uh, Dear Father, we want to grow up into maturity. And so I I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we would press on, that we would not be content with spiritual milk, that we wouldn't cling to the bottle, but we would pursue the meat, that we would change ourselves out of the spiritual diapers and, and 
put big boy and big girl clothes on and that we would move towards maturity and being the person that you have made us to be through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray for those here who are neither maturing or infants. Father, they're spiritually dead. They have been born once into this world, but they were born into sin. They were born separated from you. God, they need to be reborn so that they can move in the spiritual sense from being a baby to being grown up. And I pray that they would do that now and place their faith in Jesus Christ as a free gift of salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We pray now that you would bless our time as we move um, on to whatever we're doing, especially those of us who stay at diner. I pray that our time would be encouraging, that we would love one another well, and encourage one another towards maturity and great, uh, and great grace. And we ask it in Jesus Christ, in his name. Amen.